everyone. It is 2020 and you are listening to the Better, Faster and Happier podcast. So we had a retrospective and we basically decided to be a bit more clear as to what this podcast is for before we invite our guests. So last year we explored Better, Faster and Happier and we wanted to keep We didn't want to sway anyone's opinion as to what we thought it was. We wanted to keep an open mind and an open conversation, but we realized that we had a vision and the vision was essentially when we talk about better, faster, and happier, better is really about better products. Happier is about happier teams and faster is about essentially about resilience and our ability to respond. Um, so what we're doing this year is each podcast is going to slightly focus specifically on one theme at a time. And that is really at the discretion of our guests in terms of where they want to take it. But I thought it would be good to kind of share our vision with regards to what we think Better, Faster and Happier is on this podcast. So either way, really quickly, before I introduce these ladies, the Better, Faster and Happier podcast is really a place for strategic minds where guests openly share their experience and strategies on how to create better products, happier teams, and faster environments. So on this particular episode, drum rolls, we've got two awesome ladies from Rebels at Work. Ladies, could you please introduce yourself for us? Sure. I'm Lois Kelly, uh, co-founder with Carmen of Rebels at Work. I, my background is in business. I was a marketing strategist for many years. And I'm Carmen Medina, and I uh, am also a principal, I guess you'd say, at Rebels at Work. And uh, my background is government. I spent scary government. I spent 32 years at CIA, but I also, you know, I've been retired almost 10 years now and have been dabbling in the private sector since then. So honestly, I've been meaning to interview you ladies for the longest of time. So it's amazing that this is actually happening. So let's jump straight into it then. When I say better, faster, happier, what is it that you think about? Well, I think about uh, an organization where everyone is voluntarily providing the mission, their discretionary energy, you know, all that wonderful passion that they have in them to devote to something. But oftentimes organizations don't tap into that because they're so stultifying. So for me, better, faster, happier means that I'm like, I'm like in the flow. I'm totally giving the job everything I have. I think for me, it's it's about positive energy where people have a sense of purpose and meaning which is what people look for in work. And with that, they're happier. And when you're happier, there's more energy and productivity is sort of a natural byproduct. The word productivity is something I would like to dive into deeper, if the two of you don't mind. I think we often misconceive the idea of productivity with the idea of people purely churning things out. Well, you know, I... Sorry, uh, I just got back from a visit to uh, Malmo, Sweden, where I was speaking at a software developers conference. These are not my people, but they were great, right? 
And I learned a lot. And, you know, software development is so different from other kinds of work that they have had to rethink what like productivity is, for example. And they talked a lot about how if you are over demanding in terms of productivity in a work, you actually create more mistakes. And they cited, you know, studies they had done on how the quest for efficiency actually does the opposite. That's very interesting, especially because I see teams, whether in startups or established enterprises, embrace OKR structures, yet there is something very stagnant in the development of people, i.e. people don't want to develop and learn because they're focused on achieving their OKRs. I know organizations do it this way, where they want to meet goals and meeting the goals becomes the most important thing, but you have to come up with a different goal structure so that productivity becomes released by reaching these goals. So an example I uh, read recently was instead of judging people or, or evaluating them based on what they've done, you evaluate them based on what they've learned. And learning more, then they become more productive, but it's not actually the direct sequential goal. The manner in which goals are set seems very arbitrary at times, which makes it challenging for goals to be achieved. Well, is it challenging? Is that the right assumption? I, I think sometimes what I've observed is a lot, people think something they're making decisions based on faulty assumptions. And part of challenging the status quo, part of creating better ways to work, um, is really looking at what are the underlying beliefs and assumptions? And are they correct? Because they will change as internal and external conditions change. Hmm. Underlying assumptions, that's a nice way of putting it, actually. And now that you say that, it completely makes sense, which makes me think of the assumptions we bring when looking at data in the work environment. Well, I think there's a lot around employee engagement. And one of the assumptions in employee engagement is it's proving to be a faulty assumption, is that we should have senior management communicate more to people. And that's not, and so a lot of companies they have more town halls, more emails from the leaders, but that is only part of the picture. So communicating more is a faulty assumption. Um, people want to be heard more and to be involved more in different ways, which, so it's a different thing. It, it's different, but I still see in employee engagement programs and what's being sold to companies is around just to, you know, have your leaders communicate more. Well, just to, to build on that, I know when I was in government, uh, there were all, all these, uh, you know, reform, change efforts, and particularly at CIA after some real disasters like 9-11, everybody was really into, you know, we got to change, we got to become different. And some leaders did this thing where they had a change message every day. 
you know. So you would get to like message, you know, literally it was ridiculous. You would get to like message number 99 and you're like, no, that can't be right. And so I've really taken by the, you know, just to build on that, I'm really taken by this idea that silence is a leadership superpower. That rather than talk more, you say less and you listen more. And I, I, I was reflecting on that recently when I was talking to a former, very senior leader in the intelligence community. And uh, it's a woman, I won't otherwise mention her name, but she was, someone asked her, well, how did she succeed? They actually asked her, what was her superpower as a leader? And she didn't answer. She gave kind of not a not an accurate answer. And I, as someone who had known her many years, realized that he, really her superpower had been silence. She was someone who rarely said a lot at meetings, but listened very carefully. And I think that that was a very effective approach. That's, you know, an assumption that you rarely hear people say, well, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be more quiet as a leader. But, you know, maybe it, it can be tried. Mm. The notion that silence is a power wows me and it makes me reflect and think about the great leaders I have had in the past. They were both passionate and could talk on subjects that they loved. At the same time, they shared a natural curiosity, which led to situations where they would be quiet and practice active listening. Now, you previously mentioned all hands. Can I be honest? I chuckled deep down inside when you mentioned that. I'm yet to attend an all hands that generally delivers value. Well, I think things become trendy and I I think they some things become trendy and some things people gravitate to because you feel like oh I can do that. You know, it's sort of like we're making a meet we're making a town hall check. Those are sort of the easy things to do. You know, the harder things are changing how you have small departmental meetings or changing performance evaluation systems or getting together and really spending the time to dig into assumptions that are underlying goals and performance systems. You know, that's the hard work. So I think there's, you know, our reflexes, let's, let's do the easy things. But sometimes when we do all the easy things, then there's no time left for the hard things. I guess one way of getting the most out of these all hands is to ask questions, but sometimes it can feel daunting to ask questions, especially in a public forum. So one of my uh, lessons as a leader was that when you get a question in your head, and you say to yourself, oh, I'm not going to ask that question. That's a stupid question. You got to ask that question because nine times out of 10, that stupid question is a question about the assumptions. And you're sitting in the room, you're either, you know, the leader that is being briefed or the just a participant or hearing the briefing. And you ask yourself, gee, I wonder if they thought X, Y, or Z. And you go, oh, I'm not going to ask that. That's stupid. No, no, no. That's exactly the assumption question. So I always say, ask the stupid question. Because that, I don't, I'm not really sure why psychologically we think of those questions as stupid. Maybe we don't want to be seen as, as uh, not trusting the other person. But those stupid 
question so often hit at the assumptions. You are absolutely spot on about the assumptions. I mean, imagine a world where teams and individuals were honest with each other and about their assumptions. Yeah. Well, take, for example, on a, you know, sadly, important leadership lesson or case study right now is the Boeing 737 MAX. And only recently it has come out that the Boeing uh, engineers knew that there could be a problem, but that the pilot would probably correct it. And their assumption was that the pilot would correct the problem, would recognize what the problem was and correct it in four seconds. And now everyone is saying, are you nuts? When something happens that alarming to you in flight, your first reaction is to be startled. And it can take a lot of seconds before you get over that being startled to figure out what to do. And I got to tell you, clearly no one in Boeing asked the stupid question, well, how do you know that the average pilot can respond in four seconds? You know, where's that coming from, right? It is a shame because we honestly lose sight of so much valuable information because listening quite often is not the norm, unfortunately. I think it's a reason why it's so important for companies to really listen to people closer to the customer or who you're serving because they're so close to it, they feel the pain. And and so it's important. Sometimes the higher up you go, those voices become fainter and fainter. And people who are making some decisions really don't know what the issues are. And maybe they don't even know how to get at the assumption because they're so far away from it. There is certainly more awareness in the industry on being closer to the customer. And I think we probably have the fears market and competition to thank for that. I I mean, I agree with it. I think that And I do see more companies as they're going to sort of design thinking and building that into, you know, design thinker, user experience, that there is an awareness that we need to be closer to the customer and we need to involve people who are working with the customers. So I do see some, I I see some positive movement there. This might be more relevant for the more established startups and businesses and enterprises. However, the role of the leader changes as they need to rely on their teams to understand what customers want, as the teams are the ones who are eventually going to get closer to the customers. Unfortunately, the idea of leaders leaning on their teams seems to be more of a fantasy than a reality. Yeah, I mean, the leadership, the leader needs to recognize that their expertise level changes throughout their career. So, you know, my career was at CIA and we wrote analysis for a living. And I could have spent a lot of time rewriting the analysis of the people working at CIA, but that wasn't really a good use of my time. So what was my expertise about? My expertise, I often thought my the expertise of, of leaders and in, in sort of high positions is really uh, should be about anticipation. Not so much about vision, because I think vision has to be formed. Everyone has to contribute to the vision. But anticipation, having the time to think about what might be coming down the road that nobody yet is thinking about, that seems to be 
a a real competency for senior leaders, and yet I don't often see that competency expressed. Yeah, I would agree with that. I I recently led a retreat, a leadership retreat for the top executives of a $60 billion company. And one of the, I thought it was a warm-up exercise, was to just brainstorm everything that could be like, go horribly wrong. And I thought that would just really let them vent of all the things that could go wrong. What shocked me is the things they were coming up with were so short-sighted. Uh-huh. And I said, listen, I'm a, an outside facilitator, but here are the things that I think could go wrong with your business. And I just started rattling them off. And they were like deer in the headlights. Just, you know, I'm like, what would you do if there was a hostile takeover? And they're like, you know, so it's really interesting how that's just, to Carmen's point, a muscle that many, many leaders never use. And then, and because things change so quickly, if you haven't anticipated those things, it's really hard to respond when they do happen. Yeah. A question I like to ask, you know, and I, I've been in that place, Lewis, where you ask a group of people to think about what, you know, could happen, you know, that would be really uh, a shock to the system. And they are so unimaginative. And you're like, <laughs> are, are they not like even reading the newspaper or whatever? <laughs> Uh, A question I like to ask uh, is, what percentage of your processes do you need to change every year to keep up with the changing environment? And I usually get a deer in the headlight look because they have never asked themselves that question. We know the world is changing. So what percentage of what I do has to change every year just to run in place? That often can open up a very useful conversation. What percentage of change are we talking about? I get everything from 50%, 20%. I, I would say that the average number is about 10%. People say that they need to change at a 10% rate every year, which of course means your whole company turns over every 10 years, which doesn't really happen in too many places. When would you say that this change should be made or at least be considered? Well, I, I think it's part of any sort of, it's, it's part of every planning cycle, you know, or there are quarterly meetings and there are annual meetings and it's usually not in the process and it's, it's very easy and it's something, it stirs up a lot of good energy. It doesn't take a lot of time. You just have to have the discipline to start doing it. So ladies, it's been an absolute blast chatting to the two of you. And before I go, I just want to find out what you're anticipating for 2020 in the space of better, faster, and happier. Well, I would say it's a very tenuous economy. And so I think the global economy is, we don't really know what's going to happen. So that's looming for people. And so I think that influences, uh, will influence strategy. Uh, It will influence having honest conversations with employees. So not hiding the challenges and difficulties 
but looking at like how, how will what will we do? How will we do it? You know, there've been some organizations that I know recently who when they've had to make some decisions have decided that everyone will take a pay cut so we don't have to lay people off. You know, because we it's taken us this long to kind of train people, find the right people. So so there are interesting decisions that have to be made or anticipated in view of uncertain economic conditions is one thing that I see. I think uh, another thing is uh, coming to grips with artificial intelligence and what it will do to the workforce. I uh, just like literally just walking around, I keep hearing snippets of conversation where someone says, well, you know, AI is coming in to like the mortgage business and I'm not really sure what's going to happen. So I think that that's going to be, you know, a really difficult issue. And the third issue I see is just, you know, there's so big challenges in our world with, we don't have to look far. I mean, you've, you know, we've got Brexit and what's going on in Hong Kong and what's going on in Bolivia and Turkey and Syria. People are very fearful and scared and kind of exhausted. And I think at work, how as leaders do you bring a sense of to combat that fear and don't let fear permeate a workplace if it's not needed? You know, how can you deliberately and intentionally create a more humane sense of belonging and purpose and relationships and laughter? in the workplace. And that's doable. And I think it's a great antidote to what people are feeling um, in the world. So ladies, that's a wrap. And thank you so much for sharing those insights with us. For everyone who's listening, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode with the ladies from Rebels at Work. In 2020, we're really going to go and define and shape the podcast even more. As I mentioned earlier, the main thing is to provide you better content So we are going to be focusing as well on product and even to a certain degree, different various uh, processes when it comes to optimizing speed to market and maybe even different techniques about go-to-market because I think that's a really interesting dynamic to explore, especially when we have happier teams that are building better products. How are those products then brought to the hands of the customers? Anyways, as usual, don't be a stranger. Please leave a review or even rate it on whatever platform you're listening to this episode on. And we will see you around. Bye. Bye.